Hey everyone, welcome back to Historical Friction. This week's episode is a bit of a Christmas special. As we did last year, we've decided to subject you to a truly awful holiday movie. Continuing our tradition, this also includes time travel. For this episode, Sarah talked to Elena Yaniga about the Netflix film A Night Before Christmas. It's bad. Uh, we have lots of questions about what people think Hawking is. As always, you can find the show on Twitter at History Friction and on Patreon at Historical Friction if you want to support us there or if you just want to be nice to us and give us nice reviews and ratings wherever you listen. That's also lovely. Thanks to a bunch of you who had us in your Spotify wrapped. That's frankly delightful. This is our last episode of 2021. We're going to take a little bit of a break for the rest of December and we'll be back in the new year. We're still sussing out our schedule, so it'll be late January, early February, and we'll update you on Twitter closer to the time. But that means that if you've got any requests for the new year, now's a great time to get them into us on Twitter or wherever you can reach us. Hope you enjoy the show. Thank you so much. Uh, for joining us today. I'm joined here by the incomparable Dr. Eleanor Yaniga. <laughs> Hello. Hello. And thank, thank you for having me. Huge fan of the podcast. Thank you. It's good. It's good to finally have you on. Today we have watched a truly spectacular Christmas film. Um, I learned a lot about myself. I learned a lot about the meaning of Christmas. Um, I learned a lot about what other people think uh, Hawking is. You know. <laughs> yeah, that is a, a really, maybe like the best part of this film. Mm, um, mm. But for those that don't recognise it just from that introduction, we watched uh, A Night Before Christmas, a 2019 Christmas movie. Um, and in true uh, historical friction tradition, this is the second time travel Christmas movie we watched. So, oh, that's beautiful. Wow. It really is. Uh, no, Eleanor, do you want to tell us what happens in this extraordinary film? Okay, so, um, you know, as is completely normal, uh, we have a, a hunk of a knight, uh, Sir Cole Lyons, and he meets an old crone in a forest who sends him on a mission to the future to become a true knight. Okay. Hilarity ensues. My man tries to eat a skunk. Uh, he calls the waitstaff in a diner wenches. Um, he refers to the television as a picture box that makes Mary. Uh, drives, and he calls hot chocolate mead. Um, so basically, eventually he meets uh, a hot young thing who teaches him the true meaning of Christmas, which is being in love? Question mark. Uh, and in the end, Brooke and Cole ride off on a horse through the Christmas market and a bunch of women yell, beautiful, Merry Christmas, and how romantic. Um, so yeah, it, there is a lot to unpack here, uh, most of which is like how how a knight is transported from the, I think it's the 14th century? Yes, yeah, like 1325, right? it's pre-plague. Yes, yeah, the 14th century to Ohio uh, and doesn't simply go insane. So, you know, there's that. Yeah, I think that's the the biggest question. Like, how does he simply not lose his mind at all of the, like, lights? Mm -hmm. And the, like, mm -hmm. polyester? And other, like, man-made fibres? Uh, how about uh, one of the ones that really made me think was uh, ideas about Christianity? Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, because my man is transported in time to a place where there isn't just Catholicism and somehow doesn't, like, call everyone heretics. So that's interesting. He's very accepting of the fact that he is, um, like, at that one point, Brooke, uh, the, the female lead of this film, asks him, do you know what year it is? And he's like, well, they keep saying it's 2019. And he's just fine with it? He's just like, you know, a crone did send me here, so this seems fine. Um, which, it, and it's an interesting one as well, because, I mean, like, how is he so fine with dates also? Just, like, has a real genuine grasp of, like, what the year of our Lord it is. Um, and, like, 
also, of course, um, just how is he even talking to anyone? Yeah. Like, this is a big thing for me because my man, 14th century English is 100% not 21st century American English. Let's just put it that way, right? Like, this is this is a language barrier and a half, really, really. Yeah, would he even be speaking English? Wouldn't he just be talking French? Well, like, yeah, middle I mean, French. Probably. Middle French, yeah. He would be out here on some middle French stuff, and Brooke would never uh, have... I mean, well, actually, Brooke might have liked that. You know, she is kind of basic, so she'd probably just be like, oh, this is fine. You know, while he went around with the whole, you know, uh, box that makes Mary stuff, you know. Yeah. Then she would have probably just been like, since it is Ohio, she would have probably just been like, well, he's French. You know, and (laughs) the time traveling thing wouldn't have, you know, come up at all. It's fine. Yeah. But can we talk briefly about Hawking? Yeah. <laughs> like, I can't, I can't even with the Hawking, right? Okay, because, or, or, okay, gentle, beautiful listeners. Um, the very beginning of the movie shows Sir Cole at his home castle in England. And for, the, like, the Christmas revels, they are going Hawking. Um, and it appears that the writers of A Night Before Christmas believe that Hawking is, you get on a horse, you set a hawk off, and then people chase the hawk. Yeah, there's all, like, only <laughs> men, they're all wearing a full set of armor. Yep, yep. And you're going to want chainmail to go chase a hawk on a horse. And Normal stuff. There is an exchange in the beginning where Sir Cole talks to his brother, Geoffrey, and they're, like, talking about which hawk they're setting off. Uh, and they're, like... And that's never followed up on again, so we don't know why it's significant that it's this specific hawk that's being sent away. But, Chekhov's hawk. Uh, the two of but, them you know. go on, like, separate mission, separate Go their separate ways to, like, find the hawk. And that's yeah. when he encounters the crone. Yeah. And, I mean, I just want to be clear in case, you know, listeners... You don't know this. This is not what hawking is. Hawking is when you take a hawk to go kill things. Like, you yeah, go it's use a hunting it to hunt technique. bunnies. Yeah. Like, that's what hawking is. Hawking's killing bunnies with a hawk. And um, massively popular among the aristocracy generally, not just not just men. So, like, w- women would participate in hawking all the time, too. So, um, you know, check your own gender assumptions a night before Christmas. Yeah, I mean, they really set off on, like, a high note. Because um, that's how, how to open the entire film with, with a little hawking scene. You know, so we know what we're getting in for. We can't really be too surprised that it wasn't, like, super historically accurate. No, no. But it's just, it's not even, like, the historical accuracy that that boggles me here. It's literally the, what do you think hawking is? That's that's what's funny to me. Yeah, because you could just have had them go out hunting and yeah. not have it in full. Like, you just have to have a quick look at the Wikipedia article for... He could even just be, like, on some... Like, what if he was, like, sent on, like, some, you know, mission to town to go, like, give money to charity or something like that. That would work, but he gets lost in the woods. You know, something like that. It's just, like, anything other than getting what Hawking is completely incorrect. That's all I'm saying. It's just a really interesting setup i think and yeah kind of love it one of the things also that i think is quite funny about this is like so we go to this so he you know he drives a hawk he there is kind of a medieval set a setup of like you know the forest has a magical space like to be fair like meeting a crone in the forest who does something magical like that's a pretty medieval conceit you know like within medieval literature in general, the forest is this kind of like liminal magical space where weird things happen, right? It's like outside of human control and often, you know, in stories like, I mean, Arthuriana, um, anything like that, you know, the forest adds, acts as this kind of magical proxy wherein things happen to our heroes. So that actually kind of medieval. Yeah, I totally buy that. And like the fact that it's like some dodgy like old woman um, mm. who's doing it all and he's like you know magical and like with bad intentions or whatever giving yeah. him a mission like that, that's normal that that I'm fine with it's just it's just the, the hawking that less so but the, the hawking and then and then it's like 
So this crone can send my man anywhere, right? And what she sends him to Ohio, a place that she has a conception of, <laughs> right? Like, it's like she sends him to the new world in the future. Like, wouldn't you simply just, like, keep him in the same place and send him to the future? Like, how does she know about Ohio? What's up with that? Yeah, that's a good question. But also, how does he, like, how does he relate to the concept of Ohio when that is explained to him? Because he's, you know, fine with electric lights and, like, large-scale machinery and, like, the metal steeds and, you know, all yeah. the delicious meat. Like, you know, <laughs> he seems to be related to all of, like, the New World animals and, like, produce fairly well. But even yeah. just, like, where does he think that he is? Well, yeah, because that's the thing is, it's like, are are we supposed to just, like understand that because like he doesn't have a great grasp of world geography because he's from the medieval period so you just say ohio and he's like oh i don't know that might be near albania or something who knows right like does he get that he's on a new continent does he understand what continents are does he understand how far he is from jerusalem which is the center of like the medieval christian world or not like <laughs> yeah i mean i feel like he would be very concerned about like the lack of christmas as in, or like, religious celebrations, as you know it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there is a suspicious, a suspicious lack of, um, you know, masses taking place in this particular form of, like, Advent. So, you know, you would think that that would uh, trigger him a little bit, but who knows? There is not a who single knows? celebration of a saint or a saint's day. Yeah, yeah, like we got, we get no St. Nicholas Day, no St. Andrew's Day, uh, you know, we got absolutely nothing for uh, the Immaculate Conception, nothing is happening, like, within this period, and like, imagine that, imagine missing the Feast of the Immaculate Conception, which, you know, he would lose his mind for that, that's a holy day of obligation, even now, so, I'm just saying. Yeah, but like, imagine the, the next step, though, which is Brooke taking him to like to church okay the, oh this is actually okay but one of the things that i just want to bring up is the biggest thing that was difficult for me to suspend my disbelief about it's not even my man like being transported by a magical crone into the future speaking english and like not freaking out it's that everyone now is like this is fine Take this dude with a head injury home with you, Brooke. It's going to be... You. This guy who thinks he's a knight? Yeah. Why don't you have him move in with you? Get together with him. Maybe kiss a little. Like, so say it was you, Sarah, uh-huh. and this happened to you. And you were like, I brought this man home with me. I'd be like, girl, what is happening with you? Yeah, there is a bit where, like, Brooke is talking to her sister, and Brooke's sister is like, oh, you know, if it wasn't for the fact that he was a 14th century knight, he would be the whole packet. But it's like, he, yeah, but he does... He's got it all, head injuries, (laughs) confusion about what year it is, a set of armor. Best, best case scenario is that he has, like, a really, really bad concussion and is severely confused because of it. Yeah, I mean, I, one would simply assume that this gentleman uh, was having some form of, like, mental health episode, I think. Yeah. Um, ordinarily. And, and, and you would be right. You would be right to think that, I think. And for some reason, he keeps, like, he has a sword with him uh, that he yep. keeps, like, just, you know, sparring with. Um, he keeps that MF thing on him. <laughs> yeah, so, like, Brooke wakes up one morning and he's, like just beating up her Christmas decorations outside with the sword. Um, there's another episode where he chases a skunk uh, because he is hungry and wants some of that skunk meat. Mm, uh, yes. Like when they go, they go and get uh, cut down a Christmas tree. <laughs> and so they go to like a Christmas tree, I don't know, shop or whatever. And for some reason he has an axe. That, and then yeah, he, where did he get that axe from? Yeah, what, that's my other question. <laughs> like, what? Yeah, where? Why was there even like axes for him to pick up? He like then fells the tree with one, like single blow, and then again, got, kind of very medieval literature conceit. I liked that. You yeah, know, that's fine. I thought that was good. 
Uh, but then, like, a guy in the background goes, oh, if he can do it, then I can. It also produces an axe out of thin air. And- Maybe this is an Ohio thing. I don't know. Who can say? I'm, you know, I'm not from the Midwest. I've never been to Ohio. <laughs> Everyone just walks around with axes all the time. Oh, I love it. It's just, like, even their versions of the modern world are so wild. That's the thing. So, you know, you can I'm almost kind of forgive them the, the complete ahistoricalness of it because even, like, even ordinary people are insane within this, and it makes no sense, so... Yeah, like it's really, um, like the the histo- is historically inaccurate, but it's also like a really inaccurate portrayal of the modern world because mm. it's just not how anyone outside of a Christmas movie behaves. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like no one is saying that like when you meet like Sir Headwound, that you take him home, move in with him, and lend him the keys to your car. Oh yeah, like that bit when he's like, I can I've tamed worse beast than this. Uh, and she's like, oh yeah, that, I'm sure that's fine. Just the assumption, the assumption that this man can drive is interesting because they seem to kind of just like, they're sort of going for the like, yeah, yeah, you're a night buddy thing. And it's like, well, why would you think he can drive? Like, you know, at least ask him, how, what identification do you think that he has? Where's his driver's license right now? Yeah, like if you I lend, know. if you lend this like clearly... Like this man in the middle of a very severe mental health episode, the keys to your car, and he then like plows into a bu- bunch of pedestrians. Like, aren't you like a little bit liable to the damage that just happened? Even if yeah. best case scenario, he destroys your car. You better have like the best third party insurance before you you get off on this one, man. That's all I'm saying, you know. Yeah. Like it, it it's but it, you just it makes no sense. It makes absolutely no sense. Um, and, like, just, it's, it's I, I guess it's Christmas movie universe, right? Like, Christmas university, Christmas university, <laughs> Christmas movie universe just kind of, like, exists in this, like, oh, well, everyone just is kind to each other. And then, like, you, you can lend them your car and have them move in with you and give them your ex-boyfriend's clothes. And, you know, all of this is fine and normal and, and not, like, a thing that others would question, you know. It's very, like, Stepford Wivesy, but, like, without ever getting to the payoff where it turns out that there is, like, um, everyone's mm. been mm. replaced by, by robots or whatever. It's just, yeah. un- it's very unsettling how happy everyone are. Yeah, and it's interesting because it's 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 kind of like portrayed to at that like Brooke's only problem, the only thing that is go, like going wrong for her is that she's single, and that otherwise it's like you know she's got like one of the biggest houses I've ever seen in my life, which she is paying for on a teacher salary question mark, right? Yeah, there's like uh, there's this sort of like quaint um, understanding of uh, like romanticism and all this stuff and like one of the things where oh you know she's like really grumpy and she's kind of like got it really bad because she tells a high school student to focus on her schoolwork instead of boys and it's like you're meant to understand that it's like her being embittered or something like that and not you know just good sound advice yeah like telling a 14 year old to like not be too hung up about like her shitty boyfriend it's just like a nice thing yeah that's that's the correct thing to do overall you know, I hate to break it to everyone, but you're probably not ending up with your boyfriend from when you're 14 years old. Like, yeah, it's just not the thing to be worrying about right now. You know, I've been in a bit of a Christmas movie uh, kick over the weekend. So I've been watching. Okay. I watched a Castle for Christmas and s- uh, something called Fixing Up Christmas. And, you know, it's all the same like plot with like the career woman uh, travels and meets like um, nice man and then like realizes that she can't like just focus on her work and needs to and love is most important and family and I mean like that's it which is all well and good as a Christmas movie conceit but my thing about it is like why is it never like the man who although having said that i guess that that part of what goes on in this movie is that cole is the guy who but but it's it's implied that in order to be a quote-unquote true knight right because that's what his mission is about in order to be a true knight he has to give up knighting 
in order to be in love with this chick. So I guess maybe this is the exception that proves the rule. Because I was about to say that, like, it's always women who have to give up their careers in these movies in order for, like, love. And it's never men. Like, men are never like, screw my career. I'm going to move back from the big city. Yeah. Like, it's always it's always career women who go home for the holidays, isn't it? Exactly. And I think, actually, um, this film has more conflict than almost any other Christmas film that I've seen, just born out of the fact that uh, he is from the 14th century. Yeah. <laughs> like, but there is, like, an actual, like, oh, how will this be resolved? Will he meet the crone again? Will he, like, he's back in the 14th century now? What will happen? You know, there is like an actual like bit of conflict. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, everyone mm-hmm. like reacts completely like m- m- unhinged to it. Like their their responses to this conflict is not like the responses of regular normal human beings. But mm-hmm. nevertheless, mm-hmm. Uh, there is conflict. Absolutely. Absolutely. And um, it's. And, you know, in order to square this circle, right, like we've got this, uh, you know, um, problematic time gap relationship, right? So, like, to, to kind of, like, come up with an ending here, one or the other person has to go to the other's time. You know, like, there's no, you can't meet halfway. They're not like, oh, split the difference, we'll go to the 18th century or something like that. You know, like, that, that's that's not how it works out. So, um, you know, either Cole's got to come to the 21st century or Brooke's got to go back to the 14th. And, um, you know, I, I suppose that, like, knowing what we know about, you know, the plague, that's probably a good call. Yeah. yeah, and I think it's quite, like, I mean, I do find it really quite annoying that the idea that... Uh, what she needs is like a man to come from a different time and that the wholesomeness of like medieval masculinity is really mm. going to be useful to, to her and nice uh, you know it's it's kind of weird like but... yeah th- this is this is a really good point that you make because th- there's this idea of masculinity within this um, and like the idea that it's kind of like tied to medievalness which um comes out of you know some real fundamental misunderstandings about what's going on with knights because for example sir cole is a very good baker oh yeah which just like blows my mind you know um because right so they say oh um sir cole he's like oh well when i was a squire i was apprenticed to the kitchens no what why would that be a thing so what you do when you're a squire you fight you take care of like the knight that you works with horse and like you clean his armor and stuff that's what happens like squiring is an apprenticeship program to become a knight you just do knight stuff no one of any form of aristocratic birth is like going anywhere near a kitchen are you like what are you talking about it's just insane yeah, it's, it's absolutely bonkers. Like, yeah, he's very good at baking. At another point, he also says, my mother was a seamstress. No. No, she no. was not. No. There's absolutely no chance that your mother, Mr. Knight, was a seamstress. She was some form of lady. You know, could be real low on the lady, the ladyship hierarchy, but one way or another, she was a lady. Now, she might have embroidered. You could say that, you, and they could have said that. They could have been like, oh, well, my mum was really into embroidery. Yeah, and also, like, it is possible that she, like, might have, I don't know, potentially, like, men, been mending her own clothes or yeah. as a part of, you know, of her, like, you know, taking care of the castle or whatever. But to, to, uh, for her to be in any way identified as a seamstress yeah, just be... Like, the idea of a lady with a profession... Other yeah. than like being like being a lady is your profession, and yeah, sure, clothes mending is is involved with that, but come now, honestly, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. he would have been like, my mother was really into praying all day. Yeah, it's like to be honest, and so this is what's really quite funny is that so you know we're we're presented with medieval masculinities as some kind of like antidote to 21st century issues with masculinity but if what you want is a dude who cooks and sews you're way more likely to get that in the 21st century like you know dudes do be cooking now that's what's up you know yeah and like men these days are like uh, perform different roles in the house Mm -hmm, Uh, mm -hmm. 
that he just would have no idea what was even entailed in doing these things. Now, I don't know very much about medieval bread baking, but I feel like there's a very, very <laughs> different fucking experience. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like, um, so, you know, to be presented with an oven, as po- which is like, you know, electric fan forced versus like, oh yeah, and then you just like take this and put it in this oven. Or, you know, like, well, take, so, I mean, if you grow up in castles, right, you probably have a baker anyway, so fine. Uh, but otherwise, you know, you would be like taking it down to the bakers to do your loaf or you're buying a loaf in, right? It's like, there's just, there's no way that this guy would, even if he was doing baking on a regular basis, which he was emphatically not, would understand how to use a modern kitchen, right? You know, he would be like, oh yeah, there's a giant bread oven outside that I take things to. And by bread oven, I mean, it's got fire inside of it. You use fire. Right. Like. Yeah, he gets around to the modern world really quickly. So the very first day, um, she's like, brings this guy home with his like severe head trauma. He then like <laughs> goes outside, sets a massive fire, and chases a skunk around with his sword because he's hungry. So he's like, oh yeah, no, I need to create a fire to make food. Um, and she like takes him inside, shows him the fridge and all of like the modern conveniences. And then like two days later, he is just cooking up a storm. Oh yeah, that's how it works. You know, like, oh yes, I understand temperature regulation. I can say exactly that you should put it to this many degrees Fahrenheit in order to cook bread. Yep. I know what's up. Like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, just, like, getting your head around that, yes, in two days. I mean, maybe Sir Cole is some kind of, like, savant. Uh, and that's just not made abundantly clear. But, uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, he's watching, like, a lot of TV. He spends a lot of time on the, quote, magic box that makes Mary, end mm. quote. And that seems to be, like, how he learns about modern life. Hmm. Which is really quite an interesting... I mean, the the relationship to television watching within the movie generally is interesting, right? Because it's like, oh, A, like, this is a romantic thing to do, which is quite funny, sort of like post-COVID, like in the year of our Lord 2019, before, um, you know, COVID happened. Yeah, sure, maybe hanging out and like, you know, binge watching something was seen as like romantic, perhaps. But, you know, in actuality things have changed quite uh, like a a great deal since then where now like all we do is binge watch things but i suppose the thing of this is there's almost like this is almost like television apologia yeah i think this is a central feature of uh, christmas movies and christmas like like christmas movie propaganda and that is that they build it into the genre itself that like watching Christmas movies is a central feature of the holiday itself. And yeah, that like yeah, watching yeah. a romantic Christmas film is like romantic rather than something that you do uh, while you develop a very like complicated drinking game. Yeah, and it's it's quite interesting as well because you know, like, like so, say you're two, you're two uh, 21st century women such as ourselves who perhaps are interested in watching romantic uh, Christmas films critically, perhaps with a drinking game. I'll tell you what, like it, it, yeah. To be fair, it is really difficult sometimes for um, women who are in relationships, like romantic relationships with men, to convince men that this is something that they want to do. So you know, perhaps Sir Cole's interest in that is. Uh, uh, is, you know, indicative of, like, some kind of, like, dreamboat kind of thing. Like, ooh, he even likes Christmas movies. Yeah, right. yeah, it's aspirational. Like, all of the things that are... Like, he is perfect in every way if it wasn't just for the fact that he has this traumatic brain injury. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, um, he's got real, like, house twink kind of, like, potential, right? He could be your stay-at-home twink. And just make your bread and, you know, wait to watch Christmas movies, apparently. But, I mean, I think... And this is actually something you said, so, but I'm going to steal it from you. Just because you said it. Uh, but I, I feel like the whole Christmas movie thing is interesting because it's like... It's propaganda for... Oh, like, what you're doing is good. Like, oh yeah, like, you should definitely keep this up. It's telling you... It's absolving you of kind of 
um, any squickiness you might have about watching like the world's most ridiculous romantic Christmas film, right? So it's like uh, it's it's propagating the the genre and telling you like it's self-referential, right? It's like mm-hmm. letting you off the hook for the stupid shit that you're doing. But uh, to be fair, that was uh, your you thought of that, but I'm just gonna say it back to you. That's <laughs> fine. The, I think it's important that we like kind of acknowledge the extent to which Christmas films like function as a form of like fascist propaganda as well. Mm-mm. They don't say that like these people haven't said at any point that they're all Christians, right? But no, it's really clear from the film that they are and that they operate in this like very traditional and normalizing um, evangelical context mm, so and mm. uh, that like the ideas of like the medieval ideas of uh, masculinity are all centered around chivalry and very like 20th century 21st century ideas of like how uh, men should behave and treat women and save women and children and these kinds of things uh, yeah. but is this like incredibly sort of white hegemonic group that's presented and um, mm. and they're never and there's just like there is no sort of questioning about it or like the the overarching like narrative pull of this entire story is about how like very normal the celebration of Christ, this particular celebration of masculinity and christianity and these yeah. christian traditions are yeah, and I, I think that's a, that's quite an interesting point, actually, because we, we you also have just even these weird portrayals of kind of like modern life in Ohio. So it's like you've got this idyllic small town life where everyone knows everyone and everyone is very kind and they're all friends. And, you know, you can live in this giant house on a teacher's salary. Oh, and when Cole, like, crashes the car and leaves the door open on the main street, like, no one steals it. Nothing bad ever happens to it. Yeah. So it's like you, there's this kind of alternate reality of kind of like small town Norman Rockwell Americana that's being, you know, perpetuated within this. And I mean, ideas about Christmas are definitely hooked up in it. So it's like, you know, there's Brooks and her sister's whole weird charity Christmas dinner that their parents used to do at the church. And it's like at the church. We never really find out what flavor of Christianity they have because it's just like, you know, Christianity. I mean, I can tell you it's emphatically not, like, Orthodox or Catholic. So it is this kind of, like, post-Great Revival American Christianity, which is centered on a really big dinner in this way, and it involves, like, really large-scale charitable giving, right? So, you know, there's this whole story of, like, oh, this family who have been, you know, down on their luck or what, but, oh, don't worry— Brooke's able to give them a bunch of Christmas presents, so everything's fine now. So it's interesting because it's like there's this this uh, idea that churches can look after their own communities, and churches should be and are the center for kind of um, ameliorating problems uh, within the community, and like this kind of individualized church-driven charity. And like that's not even questioned at all. It's just like presented as, oh yeah, well here's here's the facts. And also, you know, the biggest problem that anyone has is that they were unable to, um, they were unable to, to participate in, you know, the consumeristic orgy bit of, like, American Christmas. Like, that's, that's the problem here, is, like, they don't have good enough presence, right? Yeah, it's like the, it, it's this, like, very directional charity. It's, like, going from the entire community to this one family so that they can have like a good Christmas this year because that's the problem there is no mm. sort of acknowledging of larger uh, social problems or structural changes that would be- mm-hmm. maybe benefit people it's just like they need a better Christmas this year and and then once they get that then everything is going to be fine yeah and you know the the place where that should happen is within this church and you know as a a result of ongoing intergenerational charitable giving where and it's interesting because i guess i suppose it's sort of hinted at here that perhaps brooke's family are quite wealthy like and and perhaps you know they are they're quite wealthy which explains how brooke affords she house when she's like a high school english teacher or whatever right but i think like i think yeah i think her parents have died and it used to be her house and she has inherited it um, yeah, 
but still, like it is the the largest house I've ever seen. Mm. Oh my god, I know. Like it's like twelve houses in one. And and so that we don't know that there is like no like impropriety between her and Cole because they are not yet married. Uh, you know, she has a guest house that he stays in. Yeah, like, I love that not only is this, like, a giant house exit, but she's like, you stay in the house in the yard. Like, come on, man. Like, you know, read the room, fellow millennial. Like, what's going on? That Like, you got two houses, girl? What? What's going on? Yeah, it's like, the film, it, it, like, it lacks, like, historical accuracy on, like, a fucking massive level. Like, the, all the stuff about... Like, when he talks about his Christmas celebrations as a child, it's like, had they cut down a tree and then, like, got presents in the morning? It's like, no. No, these are, like, you are describing, like, 19th century German traditions that we've, like, yeah, like just incorporated. This has absolutely nothing to do with what would be happening in, like, a 14th century Christmas thing. It's like, so if you got presents at all, you'd be getting them on Epiphany, right? Like, you know, A. B, Christmas trees, No. Yeah. Like, I mean, if you were all like, oh, we, we we went out to the woods and got boughs of holly and put ivy up around, I'd be like, word, like, fine. That's fine. Yeah. But, you know, bringing whole ass trees into the house, absolutely not. And also, you know, if you're growing up in the context of kind of like the aristocracy, then your Christmas would be this huge communal event. Anyway, it'd be like, oh, yeah, the household <clears throat> does X, Y, Z, you know? And it would be like, well, and then the servants bring in the boar's head and, you know, we sang a lot of songs and then, you know, the professional farter came. Yeah. You know, like that, yeah. that would be what's up. Right? If you're having a really good time. <laughs> when we write the fan fictions about this, we can write about like when Brooke takes him to mass and he like freaks out because he's not in Latin. Mm-hmm. It's like, that's like, I mean, in the first place. They're not going to mass anyway. She is taking him to some kind of like American church where like there's no communion of any kind. I want I, I want to point that out. Let alone you know, in in like in like Utrecht specie. Like let's just say that much, right? Like there's there's gonna be she's gonna take him to some kind of like Methodist, yeah. kind of like you know sing songy clappy church and he's going to be like the hell is this <laughs> you know? yeah like i can see where's the host and where are your relics and why why can i see the altar from here why is your head uncovered you know <laughs> like... i mean i feel like that's a question he would be asking a lot anyway yeah exactly a lot of uncovered women's heads what can i say entirely too sexy you know but yeah and my what I was going to say was that there's all this like incredible lack of historical accuracy, which, you know, fine, whatever. There's also like the description of contemporary life is also so just bonkers. Mm-hmm. I feel like the least believable film in this, the least believable thing in this entire film is the like incredible compassion and care this man with severe mental illness and delusion is shown by both the police and <laughs> like medical practitioners. Like, um- Oh my god, like, if if this crazy dude crashed his car and just kind of, like, walked away from it, like, he would simply be shot in America. Like, that's what would happen. And, yeah, like, he... I mean, even even though he is white, you know, given the circumstances, that is what would happen. Sorry. Yeah. That's it, you know? He, instead, he gets taken to the hospital. Um, he's, you know, very happy to sit inside of a car. Uh, mm-hmm. But he gets taken to the hospital... Gets put in, like, does an MRI? Yeah, and he's like, this is fine. Like, one, he does fine. Two, he's not given, like, a bill. Two, like, that would be, like, thousands upon thousands. <coughs> Who's paying for this? Yeah. You know? Like, it's so, it'd be so incredibly expensive. Uh, the police, the police who brings him in have, like, stuck around with him while they have this, like, incredibly expensive medical procedure. And they've done it in order not to arrest him. <laughs> like, <laughs> what? What are you talking about, you know? Yeah, and he's like, oh, I just thought I would, like, let him regain his like his memories in the police station. And she's like, oh, no, he could just stay in my extra house. And they're like, this is fine. Like, t- take this guy. He would have been shot on sight. Mm. And if he had survived, uh, well, you know, if he got to prison. Away, you know, like he would just be another member of, you know, the prison industrial complexes ever growing 
population in, in America. Um, you know, he would join the millions upon millions of people in prison um, because that is what stands in for mental health care in America. They would just be like, oh, it's a crazy guy. Put him in prison. There you go. You yeah. Know. Like, he would have to pay, like, a fucking ton of money in bail. We would be unable to do it because all yeah. he has is, like, his, like, suit of armor. Yep. Yep. And, you know, he doesn't, like, have a date of birth. He doesn't have a, like, um... He has no form of identification. He's got nothing, right? So it would be... And and then we're we're meant to understand that, like, this American community is, like, simply very accepting of that, right? And and as opposed to being kind of, like, grindingly, uh, you know, wary of outsiders and constantly trying to keep them at arm's length, you know? And this is something that, like, I feel like medieval Christians and contemporary like evangelical christians really like it's a shared sentiment mm, mm, yeah absolutely like that's that's something that that certainly it runs in common but i mean i'm just thinking about like the massive um homelessness epidemic in america right now and how it's just like i don't know like the street across uh, from my parents is like lined with individuals like living in broken down trailers right now because you know in america we have such difficulties with just getting anyone housing like even if they're already in our community and here we're given this alternate reality where a guy who shows up like it's like oh go stay with like one of several rich people the cops will help you out everybody's nice la 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 here's some health care like, you know, as opposed to, you know, the fact that, like, even within these circumstances, if he was taken to the hospital as opposed to shot, that wouldn't mean that he was then bankrupt for the rest of his life and, you know, as subsequently unhoused as a result. Yeah, I mean, maybe what's happened here is that the crone hasn't so much transported him into present-day Ohio as we know it, but rather it's been transported into a parallel, like, wonderful socialist utopian Ohio where the police... Mm never shoots anyone, uh, where they treat people with respect, where the worst problem that can befall a family is that they don't have enough Christmas presents for their children. Indeed, yeah, because all of their other, you know, life's necessities are already taken care of by the state. And so it's like down to the community to give you kind of like a finishing touches. Yeah, Yeah. that's a good point. That's a really good point. Uh, We've got a really idealized, uh, you know, by the time she's a crone, I suppose she can do magic. It's not like just time travel. Why why can't she also, you know, fix, you know, the the ongoing decrepitude and like falling apart of the American state? In in an infinite universe, there's an infinite amount of um, worlds that are like, you know, very tiny variations from our own. And one of those worlds out there is the one that Brooke and Sir Cole inhabits, where it's just like present day America, but without the grinding capitalism. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um, a socialist utopia in, you know, like St. George Michael would envision, you know, that kind of a thing. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, So I have a question for you. Hmm. As an American. Yes. Uh, the Christmas Castle. What the fuck? Girl, I don't even know. This is like one of those things too, because it's like, so I've been gone for quite some time. Let's put it that way. You know, I'm not trying to give away how old I am, but it's more than a decade. Okay. We'll just still say that. <laughs> um, and I have never seen such a thing as a Christmas Castle. Now, your girl is from Cascadia, the best part of America, right? And so, like, maybe this is just, like, not the sort of thing that we go in for in the PN dub because it would just be, like, you know, the Christmas weed castle of gay marriage or something. You know, that'd be what's up. But then, like... Does it sound all bad? Which, maybe, like, there's just something else going on over in Ohio that I don't even know about where they... but, But it is interesting because as though their entire town isn't essentially kind of, like, an exercise in nostalgia for, you know, a a certain type of um, Americanness. You then have the Christmas castle, which is like, like, like what if Dickensian stuff didn't suck and also existed in America? Yeah, it's like this, like, incredible, it's, I mean, it's it's the most American thing I've ever seen, but it's like, so, like, cloyingly sentimental Mm-hmm. And just apparently a place where people like go several times a week during the Christmas period just to hang out. Yeah, you know, it's just like 
it's interesting because it's kind of inhabiting the sort of place that like maybe Christmas markets have on the continent. Uh, I mean, like, the know, thing is, yeah, like on the on continental Europe, in continental Europe, where you have like nice Christmas markets and people like go and hang out. But I think mm-hmm. the, the comparative UK thing is like a muddy car park in Milton Keynes with like <laughs> exactly like three emaciated reindeer and like a Santa. Yeah, and it's gonna get written stinks. up by the sun. <laughs> yeah, and like Santa is like just drinking Strongbow and. Um, <laughs> It costs yeah. like 27 quid to get in. There's a massive And the queue. idea that you would go to that repeatedly, right? I mean, I'm trying to think if there... So I know in Chicago, which is where I did my undergrad, there is kind of like a faux German Christmas market that happens downtown. Um, which is like, it's a kind of attempting German-ness and they'll sell you some gingerbread and that kind of a thing. And you can go eat, you can go eat a sausage. Um... But I've never seen anything like this. Now, it is entirely within the realm of possibility, A, that this is some kind of, like, non-Chicagoy Midwestern thing. B, that this is something that has sprung up in my absence and that whilst America collapses around us, um, you know, we're putting more and more into a form of, uh, you know, sentimentality for, an, you know, a past that never existed. Now, that's completely on the cards. That Those are things that are within the realm of possibility, but, you know, gentle listeners, if any of you are American and you've ever seen something like a Christmas castle and you're aware of it, like, let your girl know, because I have no idea what's happening here, honestly. Yeah, like, it's a very, it's very strange. And there's, like, the there are several, there are multiple Santas that seem to be employed by this in the Christmas castle. And whenever, and there are always children that are, like, very keen to talk to them. So at one point, like... Cole talks to one of the Santas and the Santa like finishes the conversation, turns around to a bunch of children and goes, let me see those lists. And there is a horde of children that just descend on him to show him his lists for Christmas gifts that they want, presumably. And it's like, no, don't get me wrong. The mall Santa was an important thing that existed when I was growing up, but I I understand that malls have collapsed, uh, but I don't know. Uh, But yeah, like this idea of... um, really being excited to see some form of and yeah there's like multiple who's paying for all this right like who's paying for the christmas castle who is paying these santa's salaries are they in it for the love of the game they just absolutely love to see a christmas list like what what's going on here how is this being funded you know because i feel like how do you do you pay to sit on santa's lap in the in the mall for example I think you do. I've never done it myself, but I think it's entirely possible that that's what's up. Okay, so yeah, like you pay, that's paid for, or presumably like the mall will hire a Santa that is yeah. like an attraction, and then. But here it's like an entire little, the city centre, well, the town centre, whatever, has been taken over, and there is like the Christmas castle, and it's a whole separate thing that seems to be like kind of dominating the infrastructure of this town Mm. yeah and it's like the entire town is like set up in order to have this christmas castle every year like maybe that's their deal maybe it's just like a very christmasy town and like and again this is a parallel socialist universe where everything else is taken care of so they're just kind of like collectively you know sending money into this place where we have like set like multiple santas and you know it's basically paid for in selling hot chocolates or something. This delicious yeah. mead. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's stayed subsidised. Like, that's the only um, sort of answer to that question, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Like, it's got, it has to be community subsidised somehow, which is how they're going there multiple times, right? So it doesn't cost money to get in. They're just there. Yeah, they get their sense of community about hanging out there. Um, what do you think about Cole's sort of um, career change towards the end when he's like, come back? I, I'm so angry about this because ACAB, like yeah. even, even within like this, like theoretical socialist utopia, like it's not my utopia because I would have seen those police abolished by now. And then it's like the idea that like the police are the closest thing to knights is really, I mean, 
interesting, right? Let's put it that way. Um, and I mean, to be fair, I guess there is a certain extent to which that is true, wherein, you know, knights existed to kind of like patrol the, you know, wants and needs of like the property class, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's, you know, knights existed to perpetuate themselves as like, you know, a group within power and to kind of like keep power and money in one area. And so the police, by and large, they do that as well. Although, you know, um, police are usually class traders and like, uh, you know, they're, they're mostly working class. They're not actually the rich, but they are seeing to, um, you know, protecting private property um, uh, above all else. So I, I suppose there is kind of an overlap there, but also, you know, that's another thing where it's like Cole has an idea of what police are, which is interesting uh, because, you know, the medieval period pretty famously lacking in cops. Not a thing. Not a thing. Like posses. Sure. Uh, town guards. Uh-huh. Knights. Yeah. But like, you know, a police force which exists and which you will then join. Wild, right? Yeah, there are two things. Like one is the idea that police, uh, like, are out to work for like the common good and to help people and support members of the community who are hurt or need help mm. or uh, to protect them. So that's like one misconception. The other misconception is that that is what knights do. Yeah, like yeah, the the thing that knights do is like it's just it's all hawking and you know doing nice things for damsels, you know, which is quite funny. Because the two things, like, when he's, like, freaking out about the fact that he hasn't completed his, like, true knight quest or whatever yet, mm -hmm. he does two things. Like, he saves a little girl from, like, uh, falling into some icy water. He apprehends a pickpocket. And, yeah. and, like, neither of those two things are what he needs to do to, like, prove his true knight status. Uh, what turns out what he needs to do is to just, like, tell a woman that he loves her. Which is very interesting that, like, you know, knights famously, like, a member of the military class, like, those who fight, right? Like, that's that's what you need to understand them as. It's like, yeah, all of that, all that other stuff, no, nothing to do with it. You just need to fall in love. So it's funny because it's kind of like a courtly love ideal, right? Where it's like, oh, yeah, the, here is, like, some... Here's some intrinsic thing about knighthood, like as a, a state of being, is that it is tied up with courtship. But I mean, I don't think anyone in the medieval period believes that even like within courtly love materials, right? Because like courtly love is something that knights participate in. It isn't something that you participate in in order to make you a knight, if that makes sense. Yeah, exactly. Like it's, it's like secondary to, like the the things that you do to be a knight is that like you swear swear fealty to a lord and like you have a horse, yeah, pretty much. That's it. Yeah, uh, and you, then you... like you might write some horny poetry about your boss's wife. Yeah, and that'd be hot. That'd be hot. But you know, like also within that, you know, so it's like, oh, you need to tell a woman that you love her, and then like the implication here is that they're gonna get married, right? Like there is this kind of like very staid kind of impl, and it's like, well, if he really loved her, he wouldn't do that, would he? As a knight, you know, like as a knight, it'd be like you never, you never marry someone that you love. That ruins it. Like then, then it just turns it into a religious and familial state rather than one of romance. So, you know, it's that this is completely left field for him, you know? Yeah. But, I mean, I do kind of, like, good for Cole that he gets to, you know, develop a relationship with a woman his own age who is not married to his yeah. boss, yeah. essentially. Uh, and, you know, like, also a woman his own age, like... They're all, they're both kind of old for all of this as well. Now, I mean, I'm not trying to perpetuate the idea that medieval people get married quite young. They don't. They, in general, get married around 20. Yeah. You know, that's kind of like, but, but, you know, to be, I suppose that they're kind of like late 20s is the implication here. I, I think so. I to read them. It's like, you'd, you'd be getting on. You'd be getting on at this point. So it'd be strange, you know, for him to be like, yeah, this is who, this is whomst I seek, you know. Yeah, and there's a bit at the end that is, because I'm like, okay, I can get on board with the fact that, like, 
um, he's been transported from early 14th century Norwich. He's in this parallel, like, socialist utopia in Ohio. Everything is great. I can understand why he wants to stay there. But then he goes yeah. back and he, like, mostly to get his horse, which I really appreciate. Yeah, but, that's nice. Uh, but he meets his brother and his brother is like, oh, shit, like, you, like, the, oh, like you were gone from the forest. That seems, like, really dangerous and scary. Are you okay? And he, rather than, like, the brother is just, like, fine with him like abandoning his life for this crone um you know like having been stolen away um yeah he's just like yeah you should for love just go and do it yeah it's just quite funny because um you know the major the major bonds within the you know the knightly class are again you know these these oaths of fealty so he's essentially like yeah bro like break your oath of fealty off for like marriage normal normal and it's like no that that would be like a completely invalidate your status as a knight right there's absolutely no way that you would be told like yeah like give up on every everything that you've sworn to god that you were going to do right like just go for it um and yeah go talk to that magic crone one more time like she seems legit yeah that's fine (laughs) i feel like the brother would definitely be like right okay yeah so you met a a a scary crone that like kidnapped you from the forest like that is a thing that is acceptable and like i will believe that but he wouldn't then be like oh yeah yeah go back yeah i think that you should go back to ohio like go back go back to that heathen timeline (laughs) it's like that's gonna be good you know like a very odd you know like to willingly like engage with magic again it's like yeah it's fine to say that you've been kind of like the victim of magic and like a crone tricked you it's another thing to be like and now i wish to actively engage in it and like not have your brother attempt to stop you you know yeah and the the piece of advice that he gives to that cole gives to his brother jeffrey is be nice to everyone and then you true will find your true knight calling or whatever and then, uh, you know, he fucks off back to Ohio. Jeffrey, like, is about to go onto his, like, knighting ceremony or something. And then he meets the old crone as well. And he decides to be nice to her. And I think this is the setup, essentially, for A Night Before Christmas too. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to see where he gets sent. Is it California? <laughs> oh, my God. Well, I kind of hope that someone from Ohio gets sent back. That would be good. That would be yeah. good. Yeah. I think the thing that we have to... I think everything about this film makes a lot more sense if we acknowledge that clearly what happened was that they came up with the title before anything else. That's right, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, they were like, right, this is a great pun. We don't we'll work need it much out. else. It writes itself. Yeah, <laughs> like... and it did. Yeah, that's true. It's true. I mean, this is the third time we've watched it, so, you know. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. How everybody. Does it, how but... do you feel like it's uh, developed over the, th- over the years? How has it matured? I suppose that uh, my critiques of its um, economic values have hastened uh, and, and increased. Basically, I started off just being like, what the hell, hawking, which I still will never get over. Yeah. And at this point in time, I'm like... Um, El problema es el capitalismo, you know. <laughs> that is... A, yeah, yeah. That is true. Um, maybe in the future we'll publish the drinking game that we've written. Yeah, that, that, that would be good. You know, that, that's one for real heads. You know, yeah. get, get ready for that. But, you know, you really need to sit with it. You need to sit with A Night Before Christmas. It really grows on you. And I think actually because of because there is like a really like deep inherent conflict in like the time traveling, mm, uh, mm. there is more um, sort of narrative drive in this than most other Christmas films that I've seen. Yeah, absolutely. Like uh, there, there is more conflict. There's more. Uh, there, the stakes are higher. It's quite interesting in that way. Um, although, also, it's kind of confusing, like how that little girl almost. Get, like gets lost in a snowstorm so you're just like there's a lot of peril introduced yeah, yeah. It's, uh... and never from the place that you expect it to be it's never from cops pulling their guns on a mentally ill man so that's interesting that's good i guess 
suppose I do like that. Yeah, I mean, that's a, that a thing that we would hope that real life could emulate a little bit more. Mm-hmm. That'd be good. We'll take some of that, for sure. Yeah. Uh, do you have any final thoughts about this uh, masterpiece? Um, I mean, I think you should watch it for yourself. Um, and also, just please keep in mind that uh, medieval people didn't actually drink that much mead. Holy God. Yeah, and like he would, he would just have known that it's not meat after like a while. Like he figures out what a TV is. He can surely like someone would just say like it's hot chocolate, it's not meat. Yeah, and he'd go, yeah, cool, fine. Um, yeah, my I think my main main takeaway is that a cab includes fourteenth century knights. Yeah, absolutely true. Absolutely true. Um, if people want to get more of your amazing content, where can they find you? Oh, you can find me so many places. So I'm um, on Twitter at Going Medieval. You can check out my blog, which is going-medieval.com. And I have also my own podcast, which is called We're Not So Different. And you can find us on Twitter at WNSDpod. Thank you very much. Oh, thanks so much for having me uh, talk about this absolutely bonkers movie. I love it. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. And just a reminder, this is our last episode of 2021. So we will see you in the new year. In the meantime, though, you can still find us on Twitter at History Friction and keep in touch with us as we plan another year of episodes. It's been real fun having you along for the ride. See you soon.